0: Hello, everyone. I'm Trent Luce. Welcome to another edition of Rural Routes, the program where we gather every day at this time. Well, we do it Monday through Friday, anyway. And what we do when we gather is continue to address the the people (laughs) between rural and urban. You know, those of us that are either black, Hispanic, or rural and not sophisticated enough to get online to help ourselves. You know, that's us. Jenny Swagger, check again. Do you know who I just quoted,
1: Jenny? I do not.
0: Well, the guy who occupies the white house said yesterday that uh, folks of color, black and Hispanic and folks in rural America are not sophisticated enough to get online to help themselves. So, Hey, there we go. Sean Tyson, are you sophisticated enough to figure out how to get on with us?
2: Uh, It's possible. I I did it twice.
0: (laughs) You did do it twice.
2: Jenny,
1: what's going on?
0: What's uh, again, you failed in getting some urban soccer mom yoga chick.
1: I did. I'm. I'm working. <laughs> I'm working towards my goal still. Um, I, yeah, I can put today. on yoga
2: pants if it make you feel. No, better.
0: do not. Do not. <laughs> and if you have a goat, do not include it in the yoga presentation. Well, <laughs> you?
1: Um, no, today. So we are um, kind of staying on the farmer and ag side of things. But the reason that Shauna's with us is because he's been doing. Well, he just has an impressive amount of projects that he's worked on and spearheaded and helped the state of Illinois. And now he's working with customers and dietitians up in Chicago now that restaurants are open, I'm assuming. Um, so I just wanted Sean to come on and share. If you are a rural person who evidently can't get on the Internet or do anything, <laughs> there are things that Sean has done so he can share his tips and magic with us.
2: Well, welcome,
0: Sean. Thanks. Uh, first of all, are restaurants open for indoor dining or do you still have to sit out behind the restaurant in and, and, and a little tent with the space heater?
2: They are they are open. So you can go in. Oh, and really? It depends on, yeah, it depends on the town that you go on, uh, how much they follow the rules, right? So you, you, you can walk into any any restaurant, I think, what twenty five, twenty five percent capacity, Jenny, something like that.
1: I'm not sure, and I hesitate to even comment because I know that that has um, kind of been overlooked, and that's fine. With
2: there, there are some communities that never shut down. We can right. we can say that right. in, in rural America, but in my in my county in particular, they, they were very much shut down for a
1: very long time. Mm-hmm. And I'm talking cities in central Illinois, large cities that are here. They continued to stay open um, throughout.
0: Well, I was in Peoria, you know, you'll remember, first week of January. And I was just flabbergasted. They had this restaurant, a whole big wide restaurant. Nobody could sit in it, but we had a little lean to outside that was 30 by 60. 72 people were sitting out in that lean to. In a very small area, but nobody was in the restaurant. I'm like, somebody thinks this is a good thing.
2: Did they at least bed it down with straw first?
0: Uh, <laughs> there was not even peanuts on the floor. <laughs> so, Sean, what, what exactly are you doing with uh, restaurants or helping people with diet? Kind of give us a description so, of how that's all. So, uh,
2: what, to to Jenny's point about what we're doing right now, I was contacted by a. Uh, thing called uh, Illinois farm families and they wanted some local producers to provide some uh, proteins and a few other odds and ends Illinois based items for uh, a group, group of 30 dietitians in the Chicagoland area. And so trying to figure out shipping on how we were going to get that from, from central Illinois over to up to Chicago and have it still be frozen and still be fresh when I got there was, was somewhat of a challenge. And now we've actually, we figured that out because one of the other, uh, networking platforms that I use to uh, get our product out is called Market Wagon. Market Wagon's an Indiana-based online aggregation service, so to speak. So uh, Trent and Jenny order a ribeye from me and a pack of hamburgers. So then I would go up to this aggregation point, and in your box that says Trent and Jenny, I would put in your ribeye and your, your you oh know, thing Right. And so then they deliver that. So they're kind of a courier service. Uh, so I aligned with them to um, deliver to that Chicago, those Chicago dietitians. And so we're gonna get that job done and it's worked out really well.
0: Uh, that, that's fabulous because Jenny, I, I'm getting a terrible backfeed from you. I don't know why, why that is. <clears throat> I know it's you because every time you talk, I, I get some backfeed I, I don't know what's going on with that, but um, anybody can with the internet, the, for those of us in rural America that do figure the internet out, uh, you can sell meat or any of your items easily. It's the transportation and the delivery that is hard to figure out. And this sounds like a wonderful opportunity for people that really want to tap into that.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So so Market Wagon, in addition to our other retail channels, selling online ourselves, uh, that's worked out really well. We market through our through our Facebook page, through our online mm-hmm. presence on, on our website, through uh, a number of different channels. And I think the exposure that we've gotten in different uh, markets, whether that's in a grocery store or being on a, on a show like this really expands your network and your reach. And you're building that brand equity uh, all, all the time. You know, I was, we were a uh, first generation farm five years ago. We had one steer and moving forward, uh, there's gonna be a lot, lot more than, than just one. Uh we've doubled in size, over doubled in size every year for six you years. You went from <laughs> one to two. Yeah. One to two to four to <laughs> sixteen to forty eight to eighty. Yeah. yeah. So it, yeah. It, it really it built upon itself.
0: First generation farm.
2: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's I had I had some experience in it. So when I was in college, I uh, worked on cattle farm and I loved it. Uh I trained horses and did all kinds of fun stuff and met my wife and uh, heck we lived in town up until would have been two thousand fourteen and then we moved to our first farm and then expanded and moved to our our farm we're currently at
0: wow so what is the demand for horse meat like in chicago
2: horse meat uh high demand high demand no <laughs> uh so it's it's funny. Um, our Our demand actually here in Central Illinois is a lot greater than in Chicago. But I would say that that, that Chicago market is is fairly new. Um, as a matter of fact, one of them is called Chicago Lakeshore. And so that that encompasses most of basically Wrigley South. And so you're catching all of Chicago proper with that. That's this is actually our first first week there. And we've been in Northern Illinois for a couple of months and it's done, it's done. Okay. But I'll tell you our central Illinois business does twice, maybe three times what Chicago does. But
1: Chicago Chicago has has been locked down.
2: Yeah. 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 Chicago has been locked down tighter than a drum. Yeah.
0: Hmm. Uh, And and you're able to sell the balance of the animal. I, I heard you say cattle. Is that all you have for animals?
2: Yeah, so we've got cattle, and then we partner with some local hog farmers as well, and we'll market their product for them too. And
1: lamb too, I
2: believe. Yeah, you yeah, actually, I, nice I work, I work with, uh, I work with one of Jenny and I's friends and my neighbor uh, Sarah, and I deliver lamb for them as well. So that is actually the Northern Illinois and the Chicago market. I think will probably be a better fit for her for her lamb because of the um, more diverse market. Well, what is the uh, lamb demand like? I wouldn't say it's weak. I think a lot of people haven't had it. It's, it's good product. What they have is really, really good. It tastes good. There's a lot of flavor to it. Um, I, I think people are just so used to cooking beef and it's just, you, you hit the easy button on a ribeye, right? Like I say, I say that all the time to different customers. I'm like, you know, you've tried a ribeye, but have you tried say a Chuck Eye steak or a Denver steak or a flat iron or something like that? If you cook them right, they're, they're every bit as flavorful as, as a ribeye. They're just not as easy to cook.
0: Yeah, I've actually. Sorry, Jenny. I've spent a lot of time on this issue because we're at a half a pound per person and a per capita consumption of lamb. Lamb is a wonderful product. Lamb and sheep are, are great contributors to multi-grazing programs and eat things that horses and and cattle don't eat. I I always try to find a way to get people to try lamb, and. Frequently, they'll try it, and they will like, "I had no idea it was this good. I yeah. thought it was terrible." No, like when you you nailed it. When it's properly prepared, it is
2: excellent. Yeah, and so I think processing costs would be uh, the number one detractor from lamb at this point. You know, when when you look at, at lamb on a on a cost per pound, that that I think is the main detractor from it.
0: Yeah, it's twenty five dollars a pound in a lot of grocery stores.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, here locally, I see, I can tell you, maybe she sells it for $10 a pound for ground lamb, which I think is a really good deal and it is good product. Yeah.
1: The problem is if you're a smaller producer, like we are, we're reliant upon, which in in some cases now, with the way everything has happened after COVID, Sarah is also in that situation where we don't have packers we don't have the small lockers that can process for us, which is important with sheep because of scrapies mm. disease.
0: And the lamb producer herself, Celeste Citrini, just t- chimed in from california Hi. we have to take a break before i let you go and to remind you about certified piedmontese the opportunity to be a part of a brand of beef program connecting the farm to the fork literally you as a cattleman take your cows use the lone creek cattle company piedmontese bulls and as long as they have the myostatin gene from the piedmontese sires that's just making sure they're not bred to your neighbor's bronby bull you will qualify for the premium. $200 over market. Get details from Marlon Will at LoneCreekKettleCo.com. We're back with the second leg of the journey after this. Welcome back to Royal Route, Trent Luce. Gonna talk faster today because I got a meeting at the Capitol as soon as we're done. Just saying. I'm in a hurry. But we can't make it go faster. So, alright, Jenny. Now you so- got your sound all wired up, right?
1: Yeah, so my question is, so what is it that you're doing with the dietitians through, are you doing education? Are you teaching them how to cook the different types of products that are raised in Illinois?
2: So I think I, I in, in my opinion, I'm there to be a liaison basically between all farmers in Illinois and these Chicago dietitians that maybe have not reached a farmer before. And I think I'm especially well-equipped to death kind of fill that role because I've been on the other side, right? Like I've not, i am not been a farmer and then I've been a farmer. I like being a farmer a lot better, but I think I can tell the story in kind of in a language that they may understand a little bit better than some of these that's been entrenched their entire life. You know, I use vernacular that that they understand and not necessarily that if Trent and I were talking about cows, you know, that's something totally different. So it's gonna be uh, kind of an online class. So uh, to my understanding, working with Illinois farm families, they are going to um, kind of facilitate this zoom meeting of sorts, and we'll all go through and I think i'm taking I'm sending them sirloins and then they're getting some pork chops, and they may have an option on that, and then some other some other local flair. There's not a lot of local produce, especially in March. So okay. uh, we're going to be using some, maybe some milk, butter, cheese, uh, and then there's some kind of chocolate treat. And so we're just going through how you utilize that and and different ways to prepare those those things, and then answering those farm questions that those dietitians may have. It it may not even relate to beef. It may be about lamb. It may be about uh, pork. It may be about anything. It may be what about You never know.
0: What is top
2: what is of top? mind for them today? Top of top of mind for consumers uh, right now is give me one second.
1: For the it's, gone. it's
2: gone. It's out there. It's gone. Yeah, it's out there. It's in the bed of my truck. I'm sorry guys. Okay. Sorry to interrupt you. Uh, my wife is uh, delivering uh, beef for us this morning. Yeah, so. don't
0: don't apologize for dealing with the speaker of the house. The speaker of the house is in charge.
2: <laughs> she she's doing my beef delivery for me this morning. So <laughs> she's um, awesome. <laughs> So, uh what their demand? Well, maybe is,
0: you should go do the delivery, and we would have her on. Uh,
2: you, you, she's <laughs> definitely, definitely a lot better to look at than I am. Uh, so, I think what I think what the demand is is they want to know where their products coming from. They want to know that it was humanely handled. They want to know a lot of questions about antibiotics, and so I I, I address that a lot. You know, I mm-hmm. I say, would you want antibiotics if you were sick? And, you know, we treat our cattle with, with antibiotics. We had one had a bad foot. And so I actually posted about that. I said, look, here's what, here's what we do with our animals when they're sick or they've got a problem. If they had seen that hoof and seen how bad it was, they definitely would have wanted to put antibiotics in it and then understand that, you know, we may isolate that one out and, and perhaps sell that to our direct consumer customers and, and inform them of that. But outside of that, yeah, there's, there's plenty of questions. Uh, I had one customer one time asked me, could I just get that whole quarter in ribeyes? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I said, if I could do that, I, I'd be a millionaire. It'd be awesome. Yeah. yeah. Or
0: okay, get the, the whole pig and bacon, that would be good,
2: too. Oh, my gosh.
1: <laughs> now, yeah. what about dietitians? Because I, I would think that they would have maybe a different set of questions than just the average consumer. You and know, know, I know wonder- most dietitians. And this is the same, I think, in the medical field as well. Still, at least it had been a couple of years ago. They have no requirements as far as going through and learning about the way food is produced.
2: Right. I, I think their questions will probably relate, actually, uh, about the meat itself, and may and maybe uh, the feed that we feed our we feed our animals and how uh, that impacts taste. Um, we know that that can make a difference. Um, maybe about. Uh, I think the nuts and bolts, I think they know and they understand kind of how to cook, but I think nuts and bolts and moreover questions about just agriculture in general would be the questions that they would ask. They understand the cooking side, but maybe some of these off cuts, you know, they don't know how to cook. So we'll address those as they come up.
0: Uh, I'm a little uh, bit confused, honestly, because dietitians aren't really involved in the preparation of the food. They set what the what the, uh, what the, the diet's going to be, so to speak, so that you have the right amount of protein, fat, carbs, things like that. Am I wrong?
2: I think you're right. I think you're right, yeah.
1: There's also grocery store dietitians now who mm-hmm. are there to help educate their customers. So they do need to... Go And part of their job is to get that education so then they can pass it along to the customers.
0: But not from a food preparation standpoint, just from a nutritional standpoint.
1: No, there's some who are doing food preparation as well. Really? In the southeast uh, part of the U.S., yes. I can get one of those dietitians on, actually.
0: Oh, that would be awesome. And I'm guessing it would not go real well because we have a daughter that's a dietitian. And she's currently working in nursing home and hospital. Um, she's frequently telling me how her fellow dietitians don't understand nutrition. Right. And and, and we're still demonizing fat. We don't understand fats an essential nutrient. And we don't have people at the proper level of protein. So I would love to have the discussion with one of those. And and I know that Hy-Vee, um, in fact, we know the, the person at the local Hy-Vee that's a dietitian for the local grocery store. But yes, we'll
1: we'll get they that. They need to be
0: in most cases I find they need to be educated instead of educating. Is that what you're finding, Sean?
2: Well, I think I maybe that's why they've reached out to to that set of set of folks and and you know reach them with a farmer reach, reach them with someone in ag to teach them those things or answer those questions that they may have.
0: Uh-huh. You did not I, mention hormones. I'm hard to believe that they don't ask you about hormones
2: all the yeah, time. Yeah, so I, I throw hormones and antibiotics in the same in the same boat. And hormones aren't something that we necessarily do, but I don't I don't dissuade any other producer from ever using them.
0: Uh, Todd Kennedy's got what? Finally, Todd brings a good question to the forefront. Um, does your customer ask more about the valued pro, the value of the protein coming from the meat, or is it more about flavor and taste?
2: I, I think. Flavor, taste, and just information. They, it, a lot of our customers really not like knowing where it's coming from. And so, so we provide that for them. Um, but no, not necessarily about the nutrition or the density or anything like that. Um, that's, that's not on the forefront of their mind. It's, it's taste and actually aesthetics. They, they want a ribeye that looks pretty and to whatever end that is for them, whether that's more marbling or less, you know, we'll, we'll play to that, uh, to that need.
1: What about grass fed? Do you get a lot of questions about whether they've been corn finished or grass yes, finished? Yes,
2: all the time. And so, you know, we'll do, we'll do either. We'll do grass fed uh, if somebody wants them. And all of ours are, they're grass fed for a long time. And then it goes to 120 days worth of grain for us. Um, so all of ours are out on pasture. Uh, the ones I've got out right now actually are not on a feedlot. They're out on one of our back pastures that they ran through a fence the other day. Uh, <laughs> They, they're I just on self feeder right. for that last, you know, that a thousand pound calf, and we're looking to get 13 to 1350 on them. Uh, we'll, we'll feed them for the last three months or so and grain finish them just to get that more marbling for the customer. Uh,
0: to uh, finish up that discussion that Jenny started, are you having trouble with, uh, locating, <clears throat> we'll call it, uh, a hook, a no. space in, in processing?
2: So, I was fortunate enough. We started. We started getting a lot of demand, in I'd say early to mid-April, and I started seeing that processors were going to be closing down. And I had a good relationship with two of the processors uh, that yeah. we use A really good relationship with them. And so then I called and I just spaced out and I doubled my I doubled my uh, orders basically for every month, knowing knowing what I needed oh.
0: for. Uh, so you for, were part of the problem.
2: Uh, uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I knew what I, well, I knew what I had on hoof too, though. That was yeah. the, that was the difference. I knew if, if, when we, when you grow 2X every year, I knew that you're going, you're going from 35 to probably 70 or 80 that I needed to, I need to book those dates. And ordinarily you, you just call a couple months ahead of time or six months ahead of time and you would, you'd book those right. out for that, right. that you have. And So then I just went ahead and booked as long as I could. Basically, it was, I think it was about a year out. Not even a year out. It was to the end of 2020.
1: And And Sean was the one that told me, you know, get on the phone, get going. And by that time, our locker, the earliest slots that I have are June of 21. And that was April of last year that I made those appointments. Some
2: processors held off for 21. One of the funniest ones was well, I don't have that calendar I don't have a 2021 calendar yet and they don't come out until, until like September. So you're going to have to wait till September so I can mm-hmm. take your orders. I said, fair enough. So I called them September 1st and I booked all my dates for 2021.
0: Yeah. Which actually, by the way, is a good move because <clears throat> right now there's a lot of lockers that had people book up spots that don't have animals to deliver and it puts them in a right. bad bind. But I get a mm-hmm. phone call and say, hey, we need 20 pigs over here. Can you help us? Yep. I'll be right there. Neogen also helping out as we close out the first half of this discussion. Neogen is looking at the genomics has the ability to show you what alleles are present in the offspring or in the parent stock that you want to produce most commonly. I mentioned the Piedmontese, the Tenderness aspect from the myostatin gene is just one example. There are a ton of uh, uh, genomics that so you can look forward to see if it's in your animals. Shining a light on your genetic future, neogen.com. We'll be back with the second half of Roll Route after this. Welcome back to Roll Route. Trent Luce alongside Sean Tyson coming to us from two central Illinois folks, Tremont and Lincoln. Is it Lincoln, your address?
2: We're, we're in Chestnut, Mount Pulaski area. So. Chestnut.
1: And I kind of want to dive actually, into that.
2: Yeah, it's called the, the Geo Center of Illinois. We're right, right in the center. If you drew a line north and south, east and west, we mm-hmm. in the middle.
1: And they are actually now feeding through a grocery store that Sean helped spearhead. Um, and it's a cooperative grocery store that is now selling Illinois products in Mount Pulaski and it's called Market on the Hill. Can you share a little bit about how that started, you know, for others who maybe are in a place that they're sitting in food deserts and have a Dollar General and a Casey's and that's I, it.
2: Yeah. Yeah, like like every other small town, we got a Dollar General, a Casey's, and a subway in Mount Pulaski. Um, so short form of this story is, uh, probably approximately four or five years ago in Mount Pulaski, we lost our grocery store like many, many other rural communities, right? And I was on the economic development planning board and we had talked about, you know, we, we really need to get a grocery store back here. And so I reached out to County Market, Neiman Foods, uh, Kroger, Aldi, Save a Lot, all these different, all these different outfits, major chains and explained our situation, and if they'd laugh and say, no, you you don't understand the grocery industry. That's not going to work. Uh, you're not going to get a major chain in there. I said, okay. So I kept searching, kept searching. Uh, I was put in contact with the Illinois Institute for Rural Affairs, and they said, you know, you need to go, and my neighbor actually told me this too, you need to go see Great Scott Community Market in Winchester. I said, oh, okay, I'll go check this out. It's a cooperative all right, I, I know cooperatives, right? Like we've got FS cooperatives here that that take care of our, our fertilizer and, and propane fuel needs, right? It'd be similar, similar structure. So go over there, and it's that typical rural uh, shotgun style, eighteen or twenty by a hundred building, brick fronted on the square, and it's full of groceries, stem to stern. And they've got another, they've got another building off to the side that was nothing but local meat, lamb uh, pork and beef. And then they had produce and most of it local. And, uh, it was amazing. Like I almost started crying, not really, but I was like, wow, this is exactly what we need. And so then we set forth with our economic development planning board. We had a couple of public meetings and had a lot of support, uh, formed an interim committee or like an exploratory committee and got that going. And we had our first, uh, fundraising event in September would have been September of 19 because just prior to COVID, uh, September of 19, we had it and we set out 50 chairs or a hundred chairs or something like that. And I remember looking at Tom, uh, my partner in this, and I said, Hey, I hope we fill like half of these chairs. And he goes, I hope you're right. We had 150 people show up and we raised half of the funds needed in one night. So we needed up basically $120,000, $120,000, to start this project and we did, we raised 60,000 in the first night or first night. Um, so then it just, it spiraled on from there. Two months later, we had all the funding, uh, a lot of other activities transpired. And then June of uh, 2020, June 22nd, 2020, we opened a community owned grocery store with 140 owners and one general manager and a board of directors that didn't know anything about groceries.
0: So six months later, how's it going?
2: Uh, it's going well. So there's bumps in the road as, as with any, any business we've, we've had profitable months we've had not so profitable months. And I think it's just learning what the consumer wants and what, what our inventory and what our sales tell us is that or we've got a deli counter in the back that mm-hmm. leads us in sales. And then next is local produce. We've got a local produce farm that actually sprung up in response to this project. And then local meat is the next one. So you've got every protein from lamb. Sarah's lamb is in there. Uh, pork from two different producers, and then I'm the sole beef producer for the for the uh, market.
0: Sounds and like a like
1: monopoly.
2: Uh, oh yeah, and milk. So little brown cow, you can't forget about them. So <laughs> no. they were uh, they were just starting out and I talked to Teresa, it would have been in March, and I said, Hey, we'd love to have you. And she goes, I think I'm getting bottles really soon and I think we, I think we can meet that need. And so, yeah, that's all that's in our fridge. If you, if you're to open our fridge right now, it's, there's a Casey's pizza box and three cartons of little brown cow because we go through so much with three kids in the house. So,
0: sure, so, sure. so Sean, the groceries uh, across the board from meat to milk to bread have to be more expensive than if they were at one of the, Affiliated grocers, whatever the case may be, is that yeah,
2: yeah. So our you find our deli products are actually as cheaper, cheaper. There's some items that we're able to be competitive with, say a county market, not never a Walmart or an Aldi, but competitive with other major chain grocery stores. And then yeah, you know our our beef is not going to be two dollars and ninety five cents a pound, but it's simply it's better local beef. That's it. And that's that's one of our taglines. Is it's simply better local beef. So,
0: I I, I understand that. I, I question. I'm asking you, mm-hmm. if you think people will continue to come there the farther you, you get away from uh, the bottleneck and everything that caused this food right. fear. We know that people tend to buy based on price. So I'm wondering how much loyalty if you, you had to consider the loyalty aspect and where the people will continue to come and pay more for the local food.
2: Yeah. So uh, in, in response to that, that, that's the cooperative model, right? We pay dividends out to the owners. So you've got 140 store owners that should be frequenting this store and, and, and purchasing from this store. And that's where we see the bulk of our sales. And then beyond that, I think it's a convenience factor because you know we're 15 miles from any decent what I would say, decent grocery store. And there's a lot of the elderly population that love to be able to not have to go drive 15 miles, walk a quarter of a mile into Walmart, and then circle around with 200 people. They'd rather go in, say hi to Sam, the manager, sure, pick up their jelly sure. meat and their bananas, and walk back out in three minutes. And I think that's the value, the high service and the convenience factor of it being right there on the square that will keep people people coming back for more.
0: So you mentioned 140 owners, but how big is like Mount Pulaski in the general area? How many people are you pulling from?
2: So we are a town of 1,700 in a county of maybe 28 29,000. Mm-hmm. Uh, Lincoln, Illinois is probably the, by far the biggest. I think there's maybe 15 000 or 20,000 people there. So we're pulling, actually, believe it or not, we pull from Decatur, from Springfield, from wow. all over. And the reason is, is because year round you can go there and you can you can find your your local meat if you want to. So constantly if somebody's wanting to I say test drive a quarter of beef or something from us, I'll say, Hey, run on up to the market and go grab go grab a pound of hamburger and a couple of ribeyes and just tell me what you think. If you don't if it's not the best you've ever had, then don't buy from me. And seldom does that ever happen. They they call up and, and order that quarter
1: and lincoln it, they have, they have the iga still which was actually started by my family cousins down you know several generations the iga grocery store in the middle of lincoln is it still going
2: yeah actually we partner with them so okay. we buy, we buy a little bit of grocery from them so we're not big enough to get direct deliveries from a lot of the di- distributors, especially on the stock grocery side, on the, on the produce side, like we get bananas and avocados, things that we can't grow in Illinois. We get those from a place called Humphreys, which is just a distributor. And then we work with IGA and a number of different distributors to get the product that we need and the local producers. So it's a, logistically it's a little bit challenging, but to anybody out there in a small town that's lost their grocery store, I would say that, you know, we've done this. You can do this too. You know, it's very great Scott plowed the road for all the rest of us. And we kind of came along and we, we crumbed it out, right? We pushed everything back and we we're not perfecting it, but we're getting a lot better. And we're we're very, very willing to help anybody who wants to do this type of project. If you have a supportive community, I think it can work.
0: This sounds like the prototype for the future of grocery sales to me, if people are paying attention.
2: I think so. I, I think so, and I think people value quality over a lot of people value quality. And now COVID has taught us a lot of things that, that regional, maybe regional food distribution would be uh, a better idea than what we've got going on right now. And maybe we need to have more processing plants instead of less, fewer and bigger ones, you know, have a hundred smaller producer, uh, you know, processors instead of one mega processor in Iowa, Nebraska. Uh, southern Illinois,
0: what have you. Well, I don't uh, have a problem uh, with the uh, mega producer or the mega plant, but we need a better balance. Yes. And, yes. And, and, Your point, and, the, yes. The, and the system has been skewed to favor the big ones. And from a compliance standpoint, it's so much more efficient for uh, Tyson, no pun intended, to uh, <laughs> uh, accomplish that, that economies of scale in a large plant, whereas those those plants you're working with the butcher shops that we work with monthly it's tough if they're usda inspected now if they're custom exempt because we do not have state inspection in nebraska they're actually sitting in a great spot they don't have the federal inspectors in there every day screwing up the business if you know what i mean yeah so but the, the whole concept of getting people to come in and buy food and and do you grow coffee too in logan county illinois
2: now we're working on it. We no, we've we've got some. <laughs> we we probably could one day in a, I in a greenhouse. I
1: can or... up because it's happening in Kansas. We've
2: got we've got local roasters. Let's put it that way. They're they're yeah, doing an excellent
0: absolutely. job. Absolutely. Uh, I have one minute. What would be the biggest pitfall you would warn people to really investigate before they pursue this?
2: Uh, as far as the grocery cooperative side, yes, uh, definitely have some strong community support and have a good board of people. We were very fortunate in that fact, but I, I can see that being a point of failure is if you didn't have strong community support and you tried to pursue it anyway, you, you need to know your community and you need to know that they're going to be behind you 100%.
1: Which is something that we really stress here with we, the people, you, it's, it's all about the community and that's where the, the foundation starts.
2: Yeah,
0: absolutely. Well, that's absolutely awesome, Sean Tyson. We need to take a break. We will come back with our final segment, Jenny Swigert, the We the People segment. Before I let you go, just want to quickly recap what we talked about with Lone Creek Cattle Company and tapping into a, a premium people are willing to pay for taste and including tenderness. That's what Lone Creek has been able to do, verifying that it's there with the Neogen test looking at the, the genomics. Just like that $900,000 Angus bull that sold this week in Nebraska. He had to know what the genomics were of that guy. That's nearly a million bucks. Details about Lone Creek at LoneCreekCettleCode.com and Neogen at Neogen.com. We've got one segment left. to roll right. More after this. One quick reminder, The Stand at Paxton County is still on Netflix. It will be for quite some time based on a true story inspired by true events in Stark County, North Dakota. I encourage you to watch The Stand at Paxton County. So many elements of what happened to this family are coming to life today throughout the country. The Challenge to Animal Ownership, Paramount. Details on on Netflix, The Stand at Paxton County. Welcome back to Roll Out, Trent Luce alongside Sean Tyson. I, Jenny, I think, you're, I think you've done well. We didn't need a urban soccer mom doing yoga today. Sean's perfect.
1: And I think that, you know, we all need inspiration and motivation and hope because so many of us who have lost their grocery stores, we're one town, thankfully, that has not. But there's so many towns out there that just feel like, the Walmarts of the world are their only choice. And I don't think that that is the case. And I think that people like Sean have proven that and they have a willingness to help others also get started, which is really, really awesome of you.
0: So, Sean, I, I got to go back to uh Jim Stoutenborough's question that he asked some time ago, and we were actually talking about communicating with the dietitians. So put this into context that you like, because I see that you're wearing a seed corn cap that obviously genetically uh, modified varieties are a part of it. Right. And, and so people that come into the co-op grocery store in Mount Pulaski, it is in Mount Pulaski? Yep. In Mount Pulaski compared to the dietitians that you visit with about food the whole GMO discussion where, where is that at and how do you see that playing out in the future
2: so I would say here in in central Illinois people have a pretty pretty good handle on it they kind of understand it and they get it um, I think I think there's just a lot of misinformation out there about it and people just don't understand. And if you can have a civil conversation with somebody about it without emotions getting involved, then you're a lot better off. And that's generally the way that I try to describe it and I explain it, you know, in different ways to different people, given the conversation that I'm having. You know, hey, here's here's what that means to you. Here's what this means. Here's here's how we're using fewer herbicides because we're using GMOs. And they're they say fewer? Yes, actually fewer, because 20 years ago when I started in the business and we didn't have GMOs, this is what we were putting down. And now here's what we're doing. And we're not using all the organophosphate insecticides. We're not using all of all this because it's all inborn into the, into the product.
1: Yeah,
0: and I always bring it back, and I find that the best way to really explain it, that it resonates with people of every walk of life, is that... Our our task, our sustainability is truly about soil health. Mm-hmm. And if, if we can till the soil less, if we can apply fewer chemicals when needed, uh, we're going to improve the carbon matter, carbon percent carbon uh, that's in the soil, the organic matter that's in the soil. And we're going to have a better soil health. We have a better soil health. The whole system just works better. So don't tell us how to improve soil health and eliminating tools to get that done.
2: Right. Absolutely. You're
0: 100% correct.
1: What do both but, of you think? Oh, go ahead.
0: But in the at the end of the day, you, you've shared with us that Logan County is 28,000 people. Uh, I live in a county with 3,000 people. Chicago has 5 million. And that's yeah, where the, the, the vast uh, consumption of food is at. And they're not going to take the time to even understand what we just discussed. So from a a food production standpoint going forward, I honestly see technology such as GMO in trouble.
2: Yeah. I, you know, I think I look at it like this. I think it's a privilege problem. It's almost like you, if you're hungry, you're not worried about GMOs or anything like that. It's, it's right. this whole human psyche thing where we've got to look for trouble somewhere and find it. And I think that's a lot of the problems with society today is right now people are always looking for something that's out to get them, or the boogeyman, whether that's the bad orange man in office or what, you know, it's or GMOs or guns or any any social social web issue. I think uh, wedge issue. I think that's what a lot of our problems boil down to today. Is just people are looking for trouble.
0: I agree with you. You just summarize. Sorry, Jenny. Just one other thing. You summarize it perfectly. A man with a full belly has a lot of problems. A man with an empty stomach has but one. Yes. Jenny Which
1: ties to my question, how do you think the pandemic has added into the GMO equation? Because we were, just like you said, Trent, I mean, that's how most people were a year ago almost, where we didn't know about where our food was coming from. And people, I don't think, cared at that point in time.
2: Yeah, I, I think a lot of diet went out the window. I can tell you that mine did, too. Um, I was, very, I was very strict about what, what I put in my body. And when COVID hit, I was like, well, you know what? I've got to eat whatever's available. I've got plenty of beef and ordinarily I don't eat a lot of bread and I don't eat a lot of sugar. Uh, we're just going to go ahead and give that one up. Cause we don't know if the world's going to end in, in six months or not. <laughs> so I, heck I gained probably 60 pounds over, over all the COVID time. And I think a lot of people, you know, you're right, Trent, when you say an empty belly will drive people to do what, what they didn't think was possible. Uh, The same thing would go for how many new gun owners are there in the United States right now? Because prior to this, they never thought that they would need one. And it's prior, prior to this, how many customers knew their farmer? Well, they never needed one until the ordinary system failed them. And so then they needed a farmer. And so that's why I was getting, I was fielding eight calls, 10 calls, 15 calls a day from people because they needed a farmer and they realized it
0: so, so now that we're in nearly march of 2021 has that interest changed with those people looking for their farmer
2: i think they really value it and i think there's there's more and more people still reaching out because i think in the back of their head they they've got that fear again like i like i talked about you know people are are afraid of things and they're looking for things to be afraid of and they mm-hmm. just that's a human need is just security right they want security safety food shelter and so they're trying to secure that food for the safety of their family and and that's great i mean that's an opportunity for us to to tell our story as farmers
0: so all of this this sounds like a wonderful idea and trust me sean i've concocted a lot of wonderful ideas but to pull them off profitably and sustain your family is a different. It doesn't isn't always tied to what sounds like a great idea. Is it profitable enough to work
2: for you? Um, for me currently, yes. So our, our I, I fiddle with the numbers all the time and make sure that that we're profitable. You know, we're not the most expensive. I told it this last night. We're definitely not the most expensive. We're definitely not the cheapest either. And you've just got to be able to explain that story. And I call it the red face test. If I can look somebody in the face and tell them the price of my product and not be red-faced at all, then I don't have anything to worry about. I, I think the quality and the value is there. The profitability is there for me, and I understand that. And on days like two or three days ago when it was, whatever, 19 degrees and below zero with the wind chill, and, and ice is sticking to my beard, those are the days why our ribeyes are worth they their work.
0: Yeah, well, you know, I can't let that go. We hit 28 below actual temperature, so just uh, saying.
2: That is that is really cold. That is frigid. I mean,
0: I mean, Sean, that's like sitting at the co-op drinking coffee, and my calves have to outweigh your calves every year. That's just the way it's going to be. <laughs> that's good.
1: What is your record low temperature out there, Trent?
0: Uh, the state of Nebraska this week reported 47 below.
1: Wow.
0: One day, I mean that's not this year. That's that's the record.
1: And ours is, I think, thirty below, and that was in 1980, and it was oh, uh, twenty miles from here.
0: Hmm. Yeah, I, I'm mishumored by these <clears throat> people that are trying to say that this cold snap is somehow tied to political anything. You you simply don't understand the cyclicness of weather. It's weather and that's what sean summarizes we in farm country find a way to deal with the weather every day no matter what it takes i i didn't turn my tractor off for 72 straight hours because i knew i wasn't going to be able to get it started at 28 below we just find a way to make it work
1: and i think the whole country has taken that stance also during the pandemic but will it last
0: man we were fortunate, we, we were part of the rolling blackouts this week where I, I did a couple of oh, wow. interviews on that and, and I, I didn't understand it, but it was literally turning power off for 30 minute blocks at a time to save 41,000 megawatts, whatever the case may be. And, and my thought process was that if you turn it off, it's going to take more energy to get it all back started because everything goes dead, right? But it he answered the question he said it takes about 10 percent of what you save to get the thing going again but they just start in an area and just do a rolling blackout turn you off for 30 minutes at a time we were off for one hour on um, tuesday morning
1: so So. along those lines i have a question Um, sean we yesterday received an email from our school and i've seen this now at other schools in illinois central illinois um, we were told to dress our children warmer than normal today because thermostats are being taken down to 55 to 60 degrees. In the last five days, the amount of money that our school district has used to pay for natural gas is the exact same amount that was used in the entire last calendar year.
2: Wow. Yeah. So are you seeing that? Uh, we're, not, we're not seeing that. So we've got Ameren as a provider for us. Uh, I haven't. I haven't seen any notifications like that. I'm friends with uh, a couple of school board members, and I probably would have heard about something like that. No, no, I haven't seen that. Yeah, Yeah, Williamsville, probably. Yeah. Uh, So in Mount Pulaski, no, we have not. We've not encountered that. Not that it's not being addressed, I'm sure.
0: And last year, you know, we spent a lot of time here talking about how uh, ideas of food have changed in the past year thanks to COVID, whatever political game it was, doesn't matter. Everything has changed. The next one is energy. We've eliminated uh, 13 gigawatts of coal-burning power plants. And and Illinois, by the way, is the number one coal-burning power plant in the United States. We've eliminated 13 gigs of of coal-burning energy. We're trying to rely on something that's not sustainable and I'm I'm having friends today tell me that they are being restricted on the amount of propane that they can buy. So the next crunch is not food. It's energy. And I think we're going to stop taking a lot of those essentials of life for granted. Sean Tyson, we're in the last minute. What do you want us to take home?
2: Uh, you know, I would, I would say that if you're a community in need that's lost your store, there's help out there. And there's, there's folks out there willing to help you and willing to make uh, rural America great again.
1: I love, I love that.
0: Jenny, final word.
1: I, I go back to the whole community. It's based on community, whether you're in an urban or rural area. Um, even stores like this are also popping up in South Peoria, Illinois. Um, so there's definitely food deserts in urban areas as well as rural, and I don't want to overlook that.
0: And, Sean, what I, like, what I like most is that uh, you're part of the – solution driven folks there's too many people sitting back saying oh look what i can't do look at this food desert i have here instead of saying all right let's do be right. part of the solution you're either Absolutely. are the problem or you're part of the solution ton Ty- sean tyson certainly part of the solution we've journeyed down the road connecting rural and urban america for denny sean trent all three of us remind you that all roads do lead to a roll route for the co-op grocery store